Welcome back to the Girl Scout Troop Leader Experience podcast. I'm back with a guest that if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard her on here twice before because um, we kind of love each other and we have a lot to talk about. And so I'm excited um, to be reunited with an uh, uh multiple returning guests, but go ahead and introduce yourself and remind us where you're from and how you are affiliated with Girl Scouts. Hi, I'm so excited to be back. I am Cheryl Robinson and I am with Girl Scouts of Wisconsin Badgerland Council as a volunteer. I My passion is our Gold Award Girl Scouts. I love working with our high school girls, especially those that are working towards earning their gold awards. But I just love Girl Scouts in general. I'm a very active volunteer and have lots to say about Girl Scouts. Yay. And um, part of the reason why these conversations are so fun is because we both um, are podcast hosts about Girl Scouts. We both love talking about Girl Scouts so much that we literally started podcasts about them. So um, just remind everybody about your podcast. So my podcast is Hearts of Gold, and it's Reflections of Gold Award Girl Scouts. So I interview Gold Award Girl Scouts from all over the world, and yes, world, because I have done Girl Scouts Overseas Girls, um, about their Gold Award projects, what their experiences were, tips, they give tips and tricks for girls that are considering going gold. They're just, Gold Award Girl Scouts are so amazing and inspiring that I love sharing their stories. Yeah, it's a it's a fun show. I like listening to it, even though I'm not necessarily your target audience. But um, but I do love hearing the girls' stories, and um, and obviously anybody who's been listening to this podcast for more than a couple of episodes knows that the like bigger picture of the longer longer term impact and the the overall impact of this movement and this program, like that's what I love so much about Girl Scouting. And so your podcast really captures that perfectly. So I love that. Thank you. So we um, wanted to chat today. Actually, Cheryl wanted to chat today and I am always down for a good Girl Scout gab. So basically, you know, most people listening have probably heard the episode recently where I shared kind of the change in my leadership journey. And um, I guess there was some stuff that I said that sort of resonated. And so um, even though it's not exactly the same, Cheryl and I kind of wanted to chat and maybe we'll chat a few times to kind of update about how those changes are kind of growing and evolving. But why don't you give us a little insight into where you are with all of this and what's what's changed for you and what you're working on building. Absolutely. So when Sarah was sharing her experience and the possibility of starting a new troop in her new area where she's living, it really resonated with me because I have over the last couple of years been trying to reinvigorate a troop that already exists. And so I thought that it was kind of like two halves of a whole not just starting from the very beginning, which many of us do, but also what happens when you've lost girls and you need to rebuild. And I just thought it'd be an interesting conversation. So in my case, I am a troop leader for a, I have redirected it as a high school troop at this point because of my interests. Um, But it was a multi-level troop, kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. 
And at one time we had over 40 girls in the troop, which for multi-level doesn't sound like a lot, but we're in a community of a thousand people. So 40 girls in a troop of a community of a thousand people is a big troop. It was very, very, very popular. And over the years, um, girls floated away. We really tried recruiting, but as I was reflecting, getting ready for this conversation, what I think I realized was that we were losing girls at both ends of the spectrum. So as is known, um, middle school and high school girls often leave troops. But what we were also experiencing was that as girls were coming into school and beginning kindergarten, um, we weren't getting new daisies. So the troop kind of collapsed from both ends. Um, and so at this point, it's still technically a troop because I get a random girl registered under my troop <laughs> so that I um, can keep it active. Um, but I've been really over the last three, two, three years trying to focus on rebuilding and getting some activities. Um, there, there are some funds there in the troop that I want to keep in the community because they've come from the community. And so I feel like they should go back to the community. And so I've tried a couple of different things and um, nothing's quite stuck. So the first thing that I did was I met with the principal at the high school and her and I had lots of conversations and we really brainstormed. And again, I am in rural Wisconsin and church is big here. Wednesday night church is big here for students. And so there's no games ever on Wednesday nights in our area intentionally. And, but students will still have sports practice. So sports practice goes until five and religious education starts at six or 6.30. So there is this little window in there. And the principal and I talked and we decided that that was probably our best opportunity. And so we set up uh, girls chit chat, gather, have supper, like really low key because I wasn't gonna plan things because especially in high school, it really needs to be girl led. Um, but we thought food might bring them in, especially when they had that one hour, you know, rather than running home, you're already in town, come on over, have supper and then go to religious ed. Um, it, it didn't work. We tried it three times. We didn't get any takers. Um, we did do a community service project that year. Um, again, this was an idea from a girl that was in school. Um, and we did some tied blankets that we then donated to the police department to have in the trunk in case they needed them. Um, but, you know, it's really hard building traction. Another thing that then we tried, so post COVID, so then COVID happened. So that was made it recruiting super hard. Um, but one thing that we did, you know, as everybody got more comfortable with virtual, even though we also had virtual burnout, one thing that we did is I partnered with um, one of my Girl Scout sisters who reviews scholarships for um, the Society of Women Engineers. So she has some background in what people look at when they're reviewing scholarship applications. And so she did a presentation on how to write a good scholarship application. And we, and it was virtual. Um, 
it was intended to be a recruitment tool for the troop, but I opened it up because I wanted the information shared with whoever might need it. Um, and we had five girls attend that virtual event, and we were pretty, pretty happy with that. Um, two of which were actually from the high school that I'm trying to recruit from. And, but now we're in the new year, and I think what I'm going to try and do this year is I'm going to meet with the principal again. And we're, I think what we're going to do is we're going to try and identify maybe some of the less active members of the high school. Some of, we, we have a, uh, I wouldn't say large, but we do have a significant Hispanic um, population here. And some of them are very active, but others are not. Um, you know, family dynamics really play into that um, in the Hispanic culture. Um, and so maybe identify some of those to create that supportive network because those are girls that maybe Girl Scouts can provide something to that they're not getting in other ways. So that's what I have my thought for this year. Yeah. So let's go back for um, <laughs> to the beginning of your description of your whole situation where you're talking about seeing the changes in the existing membership of your troop. What what were some of the big contributing factors to turnover for girls at any level not continuing? Do you know? So at the high at the middle school and high school level, it was that um, they're getting busy, they have other activities. And I am a huge proponent of Girl Scouts complements other activities. It shouldn't compete. So if sports is your thing, then let's do, you know, let's do journeys, let's do highest awards projects, let's do things like that, that complement sports. If FFA is your thing, then let's do th things that complement FFA. I don't want to compete. These girls are way too busy. I think the bigger issue was the not getting the daisies, and we tried recruiting parents into leader into being troop leaders or even just parent volunteers because you know that the girls come when you get that it's it's not even their the help necessarily that they can provide but it's the cheerleading aspect so if you get a parent of a kindergartner that really likes the girl scout program they're going to be talking to the other kindergartner parents and that's how you get more girls so even if that parent doesn't want to be a leader or have responsibilities it's getting them as a cheerleader to bring in those girls and i don't know what it was but we struggled so hard to get those cheerleaders and so that's why we didn't get the girls to come along and let me tell you i i can't remember the different things but there was a group of four or five of us and one of them was a teacher in the school so really knew what those parents, even though she didn't teach that grade, she knew those parents, she had ways to connect with those parents. And it, it was just, I don't know if it was, you know how things go in waves, you know, it was just that wave and we just hit it wrong or what, but it, it was so hard to get anybody to show any interest in participating. What was the time frame of this, of you starting to really see the impact of these trends in your membership compared to the pandemic? It was way before the pandemic. Um, I want to say we started seeing real reductions in the troop probably about six years ago, and it took like two years 
and then we were literally down to um the girl scout leaders kids and maybe a couple of other girls that were the troop and we, even the girl scout leaders only had one or two daughters so and that was between brownies juniors and cadets so between three levels we had like six girls and you it's so hard to give good programming um to those and i think you mentioned that in that podcast it's so hard to give good programming when you have those small numbers and the troop leaders had all been troop leaders for a while so they were getting you know they had other things that they were getting interested in and um and it's not as exciting to be a troop leader when you have a small troop either it's more exciting when you have lots of girls because you're feeding off of their energy um so i think it was just all of those things and we just decided that the troop leaders decided they weren't coming back i was getting burned out because at that time i had been a leader for 15 years and and i had no older girls which is where i really get my energy from so there had been no older girls no high school girls for if that was six years probably seven or eight years i've had no high school girls i had some middle school girls that i was working with in that time but they they never transitioned into high school and stayed with and and that is really where i get my energy from so i was getting burned out um i was getting more involved in um making highest awards more active for our council um and that's so that's where i was getting my energy from but you only have so much time uh, so it was it was all of that balance and I, it, it was just accumulation of everything happening at the same time. Yeah, I am, um, you know, of course, I keep on thinking back to making this decision about stepping away and whether I have regrets and whether I should have done anything differently. You know, one thing that's kind of to your point about not wanting to compete with other activities that's kind of occurred to me is like should i have gone back to those parents who sent me those really nice messages about their girls being overcommitted and should i have offered alternative structure options because it started to become so clear that um that it was across all the levels that we used to have right and not just middle school but like could i have gone to those middle school members who'd been involved since the beginning and gone to those parents and said what if it was once a month what if it was um just one monthly activity and not even any troop meetings anymore like it could look like all sorts of things it doesn't have to look like especially as girls get older and that's something that doing this podcast that I've heard a lot from people who have older troops or who have led older troops that as the girls get older, they meet less frequently or they do like one weekend um, like retreat kind of thing, sometimes even quarterly, not necessarily even monthly and get a bunch of badges and journeys and high award type stuff done, whatever the girls want to do and just keep them connected to each other. And, um, you know, especially because to your point, like we had funds. And I think that's the thing that's so hard is like you work so hard to get funding and you work so hard to bank up a little bit of money. And it's not like we were rolling in it. It really wasn't a lot of money, but it was a chunk of change that now 
bless this little Daisy troop, brand new Daisies that are brand new to Girl Scouts, and these brand new troop leaders, they had to start with like a couple thousand dollars, you know, like that is a dream almost to think right. of starting a troop with money. Um, and the girls who worked to earn that money and not just the girls, but also me, because I was at every cookie booth for years. Um, we just lose the funds like they go to someone else. And and I'm so grateful, obviously, that they're, it's still being used by a troop, right? It's still staying, it's still getting used by girls. But like, I mean, it's just, I think these kinds of thoughts have started sort of um, circling now being away from my troop for a little bit and like having sort of gone through the grieving process of okay it's really over and then it's like well dang did I make a mistake and then I just keep on thinking about that at this point like 40 to 50 minute commute each way and I'm like no I did not make a mistake this was the right thing like it was right for me and those girls did quit it would have been going back to negotiate with the families of like do you want to unquit you know right. it was not like before they quit we could have had this conversation which i think is why it didn't occur to me it's not like um someone came to me and said you know we're just struggling with how we're going to balance everything and we haven't made a decision yet then i would have probably been a lot more like oh let's negotiate but since they came to me like we're done goodbye and then i started getting more and more i think i went immediately to that like emotional response of oh my gosh this is done instead of thinking about like this is the first time we're having this conversation. So there's room for me to actually have a response, you know? And of course, with the initial girls that I was hearing from their families, it was like, okay, well, maybe instead of eight, we're going to have four or five, right? But I still thought some would continue, right? And so like, that wasn't my initial response to the first couple of people that I heard from because I still thought we had more coming back. Anyway, I don't know if I'm kind of talking in circles, but um, it is it's all interesting because in thinking about what comes next for me as a leader, you know, I have a lot more opportunity to have a vision going into the next troop or the next iteration of a troop, right? Like what what do I want that to look like? And and especially over time and um, and I think another thing that's really been rolling around in my head, and I don't know how much of this I've already shared on a recorded episode and how much I've just shared with like guests like you who um, before or after recording, we end up chatting. Um, so I can't remember how much I've actually shared on here, but basically I, part of me is really inclined to do daisies, right? I will start at the beginning and I'll just, cause that's the easiest for recruiting. Typically, I understand that has not been, your experience but typically daisies are the easiest level to recruit daisies and brownies and so like maybe i'll do single level this time maybe i'll just get as many daisies as possible and just create a giant super troop of daisies like give me all of the daisies i'm not afraid of it because now i'm really confident in the program i'm really confident in meeting plans i have several years of meeting plans to fall back on um and so I'm confident about a room full of daisies, whereas that would have been intimidating the first time that I started a troop, right? Um, and even though similar to you, I mean, my heart is really primarily with middle school, but um, it's not really necessarily with the littlest, tiniest girls, although let's be honest, I love them all, but like um, I, 
that's such an easy recruitment that it's like, if I could have 40 daisies, then by the time they get to middle school, I've got to have some left, right? <laughs> like, and hopefully more than eight, you know, <laughs> and then that's going to help just as they continue to taper off. Some of them might make it to 12th grade, then it's a numbers game, you know, and so there's the part of me that thinks about that. But I also have a niece who's in fourth grade, who has no experience with Girl Scouts, her mom has no experience with Girl Scouts. And um, their family has really been and they live really close to where I live now. So she is super, super interested, wants to do Girl Scouts. I'm so excited that she wants to do it. And I would love to do that adventure with her. She's a blast. She's so much fun. Um, and she's in fourth grade this year. But with the pandemic, you know, her mom and I were kind of chatting about it. And it's like, okay, it would probably be easier to recruit next school year rather than this school year. So if we wait until next school year, but how difficult is it going to be to recruit fifth graders like i don't know because a lot of fifth graders are still involved right but they already have troops and the fifth graders who aren't involved presumably have been exposed to girl scouts in some capacity and they or their family have either chosen not to participate they don't see the value in it or they did and they're done now right like they already did it and quit and so the idea of coming back. Not that that's impossible to overcome any of those objections, but it's like, I wonder realistically, how hard is it going to be to get a troop of fifth graders together next year? I don't, from scratch, like, I don't know. Right. I, so what, as I hear you saying that, I think about the new, um, I don't know, I don't know what the terminology is that they're using, but the bridge membership, where when they start doing early bird, you can do that short membership year and then roll it into that. And especially with fifth graders, I wonder if that's your opportunity where you do it with the early birds so that you get them registered before summer and be able to do some, granted you don't have funds, right? So families will have to pony up some money, but you do some of those activities in the downtime over the summer in order to get them acclimated because I worry as they go into middle school, you know, what, how, what are the families going to be thinking as to what else is going to be on our plate? Do we really want to add Girl Scouts to that plate? But if you've given them that little taste already, you might have a more open crowd. Yeah, that's an, a really good suggestion. And I think there's so much room for that too, with um, hopefully seeing numbers get better and better between now and the spring. And so, um, you know, I I don't really want to start a troop for spring semester per se, like in January, you know, we didn't want to just put it off until January because that's when cookie season starts here is literally in mid January. And so starting a troop and selling cookies immediately can be really overwhelming. And so, especially if it's families who have no exposure to Girl Scouts yet to dive right into like, hey, I have a lot of expectations on your time and your involvement, like, that's a big step. So, um, you know, I think I just, I, and I'm so torn too, because I, I do like this idea of starting with all these daisies. So I'm like, well, would I do multi-level potentially then? Because then it'd be a lot easier to recruit. I could recruit, frankly, anywhere K to five. We could be back in that same boat again of having multiple levels, which I'm used to. It's fine. Um, and then even if I had just a couple of, of fifth graders next year, 
and I had girls at all the other levels, you know, potentially there's still room to create more of a troop environment. Um, but anyways, sorry, that was a bit of a, a tangent off of what you said, but, um, but yeah, so the post cookie season, and then maybe the exposure to girls selling cookies is also a good opportunity for recruitment from the standpoint of the community's primed for it, right? They're seeing Girl Scouts in their communities and coming up to their doors and they're seeing girls in uniform and they're maybe interacting with girls. Um, and you, you, you know, you always see at grocery store booths, the families that have girls that are similar age, but they don't know each other, that they kind of side eye the girls at the cookie booth as they're walking out like, hmm. I'm a little interested because those girls look like they're my age. Like we could be friends and look at them all together at this booth. Like, hmm. And so it's kind of like a good opportunity to be like, hey, families who have girls this age who are not currently involved, are you interested? And sort of go from there. Um, Summer's just so hard here because of the weather. Like our outdoor season is like (laughs) nine months of the year and the three months that it isn't are summer. And so trying to even do some stuff over the summer, it's like uh, either we have to travel, which of course we wouldn't have the opportunity to do progression with brand new girls, or we have to really be indoors. And there is tons of stuff to do indoors. It's just that um, I think that's a little bit less uh, of like a sparkle a sparkly glittery appeal like hey come hang out inside in the air conditioner like (laughs) rather than saying like hey we can um hike through a lava river cave and we can you know go kayaking and whatever like fun outdoor adventures it's just like a little bit more of a appeal i think but yeah and I didn't think about the weather because I have the access here. Exactly. Yeah, I know. We're, we're, I'm just in this weird pocket of the U.S. where, like, when everybody else is getting outdoors, we're getting indoors. I mean, people, kids still play outside. So I know I have a lot of Arizona listeners who are going to be listening to this and thinking, like, it's not like kids are not outside. They are. But also, for a good chunk of the summer, it's 110 plus degree heat. And, like, I'm not about, personally, I'm not about that. So. Right. <laughs> And, and the other thing is, I, I'd be interested in your feedback on this, because as I keep hearing, we've both been multi-level, and I keep, I hear you talk, and I am, and both of us are multi-level, so you can't maybe, I mean, you probably have insight, but you might not have the exact answer. I, I think it's so interesting that of leaders that say, and this is the level that I'm doing, and I'm moving with my girls through, because I'm like, unless you only have one grade level, like it's not a reality because you're always transitioning one of the grades to a new level. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of troops level. do only have one grade. I think that in, and it totally, I think varies by where you are in the country. Um, I think different councils have different, um, patterns of what's more common. I think every council has both. Right. But I think there are some councils where the standard is one grade. And then I think you have councils where the standard is multi-level. And I know in my area, multi-level is extremely common. At the very least, like you're saying, to have two grades. And so some some years you're the same and some years you're not. And you're sort of 
bridging that gap. And almost always you run into a situation where somebody has a younger sister. And so that's how the multi-level begins, right? This is the like ongoing story. This is the, I went to a parents meeting. So that's how I ended up becoming a volunteer version of um, how troops become multi-level. Like everybody can relate. There was a sister, right? Or multiple sisters. And so I, I personally grew up in a single level troop. I grew up in all one grade and we aged together our troop leaders. Um, they changed, like my mom was my original troop leader and she did not stick with it after daisies. So, um, so then we had different troop leaders for the rest of the time, but anyways, so, um, I know both models from that standpoint and I can see the benefits to both. Like I loved being in a single level troop. So I'm never going to knock single level troops because I do think that, and especially as if you're a brand new troop leader and you have no experience with the program and this is like all brand new to you and it can feel like a completely different language that people are speaking in Girl Scout world, single level might be easier to start with as far as like planning and coordinating. Um, but if it's the same number of total humans at the meeting, I don't really think it's any harder to plan multi-level, to be honest. It's just different. Um, but I can see how it would be intimidating. Um, but for me, like as a multi-level leader, the beautiful thing was about how the girls interacted with each other and having that progression built into your troop where the older girls helped the younger girls. And frankly, that really helps with your adult, uh, assistance not needing as many adults at the meeting also the younger girls look up to the older girls like crazy they just love and admire them and so that's really cool um and i think it's just fun to be able to see the differences in the different levels and especially if you're with them for a while because you can remember when your older girls were the size of those little girls and it just really puts it right in your face of um how much they grow and change but, um, and I like that things like um, junior aid and program aid and the bridging requirements, like you can get so much of that done within your own troop, which is so helpful. Um, it just makes actually doing that program so much more feasible. Um, but I guess to a certain extent, it also a little bit defeats part of the purpose because interacting with other troops and like knowing that there are other troops out there and getting to know new girls is part of that program. So, you know, if it's all just your same troop, I don't know. I see, I can see it all, right? I see benefits to all of it. Um, I used to say my dream dream was to have a giant super troop like we've interviewed on here before. Like it sounds like you had that is like all the levels from beginning to end. Um, but then at the same time, when I think about what I would want my next troop to be, I'm envisioning a single level. Like, let me start with either kinder or first, only recruit at kinder or first, and then just stick with that one level for good. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, and our multi-level troop, we met at the school. And so what we did was, again, remember 40 girls out of a town of a thousand, right? So you can imagine we had lots of siblings and we would not have had those siblings if the parents had to go to four different meetings. Some of these families were four and five girls, right? If they had to go to four different meetings during the year, during the week, they would not have joined. But because all the girls met at the same time, they were able to join. And it was, 
it was actually a respite for the parents because all the girls were gone, right? Um, but because we met at a school and we had enough leadership, we also broke into classrooms. So we had specific levels um, during the meeting too, where they were isolated amongst their groups too. Um, so it was like a perfect world you know we had the big cafeteria yeah. where we all got to meet together and then the individual rooms so. we did that too it got a little bit sticky when we had four levels if we had three levels we had great space for that when we had four levels the we were meeting at a church and like having meeting space for four levels was tough but um but three levels we definitely had room for so just depending on the year like how it fell um, but I loved that too, that there were things we could do all together as a group and then we could split. And one of the things I know I've mentioned on here before that we considered is we did consider splitting to different troop numbers. Like my troop number was 63 and we considered like 631, 632, 633 or 163, 263, 363, right? And actually keeping the money separate, but being able to share supplies and being able to accommodate siblings and being, and, and again, I see pros and cons to this where, you know, it does make more paperwork, definitely, because just cookie season, like we could share inventory, but that all has to be tracked. And so I felt comfortable taking that on because I could picture how it would look. Not everybody's wired that way. And I get that, no judgment. Um, but I, I do have a little bit of an inclination towards it. Plus I had enough experience in the system at that point that I felt really confident that I could accommodate that. Um, but, and we could still share booth slots and it would give us more booth selections because um, and again, this, if you're new, this might be confusing, but like most councils have sort of a lottery system with council sponsored booths for cookie season, where at the biggest grocery stores and the biggest um, like Walmarts and things like that usually are like um, some kind of lottery system or like round robin where each troop has the opportunity to sign up for a certain number of slots at a time and then trying to give everybody an equal chance. And um, so if we split our big troop into three or four small troops, we would get three or four times the number of booth slots. And so the reason why we felt like that's fair is because we had enough girls that they could be separate troops, in which case um, that number of girls vying for just a couple of booth spots versus having the, the correct kind of ratio of booth spots to girls that felt like it would be fair, but um, it just got complicated as far as like, do I trust the turnover of the troop leaders? Do I trust the equal adherence to kind of, I don't wanna say rules because that's not even what I mean, but like operations, right? Like I had an operational strategy for running my troop. And if we split into separate troops, we can agree on a strategy, but technically we're all responsible for our own group. And so it's like relinquishing some control, which can be good and it's an important skill to have, but also it really changes the dynamic of, of what you're doing, right? And so there's just a lot of trust involved. And because I had experienced so much turnover in other troop leaders, I was so anxious of like, this would be really hard to undo. And what the heck do I do if that leader turns over and that level leader turns over and now 
I have this separate troop without a second leader. Like what? And so um, that just got sticky, but, but it would at least accommodate some of the like best of both worlds, the best of the single level world and the best of the multi-level world. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's so many ways that it can look. And I think that's kind of what's exciting about sort of having like a renaissance, like where we are, where it's like, okay, we get to do what's the next phase of troop leadership look like is that now we know kind of what all these different options could look like and we get to design it how we want it to be. Whereas when you're brand new, which I know I have a lot of new leaders listening, when you're brand new, this might all be over your head where it's like, you're just trying to tread water. You're like, what the heck am I doing Tuesday? I need a meeting plan. Am I doing this okay? Is everybody going to be safe? Are the parents going to be mad at me? Are kids actually going to show up? And like, how are we going to get dollars in our bank account? And that's all I'm really concerned. Like, I just need to get through Tuesday, right? And so if that's where you are, I get it. And we've all been there. And it's kind of fun to then be like on the opposite side where it's like, well, I'm confident about all those pieces. I'm confident about like what to do with a group of kids and how to pacify parents and how to communicate effectively and finding a meeting space and doing cookie season. Like I'm confident about all of that. So now it's like, oh, cool. What operationally do I want my troop to look like? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I agree with the, the troop leader turnover piece. because And there's two components to that. It's not just the turnover, but um, the other piece you have to consider is that some leaders decide that they really, really like, like me, really, really, really like a level. And that's the level that gives them the energy and the level that they want to work with. And other leaders want to stay with the level their daughter is at. Unlike me, who tried to do everything in the world to not be my daughter's leader, and I kept ending up being my daughter's leader. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely that speaks quite a bit to the difference between being a leader slash mom and being a leader without a kid in the troop. Like that definitely makes a huge difference. I think, you know, even without having my own girl in the troop, it was important to me to move up with the girls that I had the biggest emotional connection to. Um, I thought middle school, middle school program is my favorite. And as far as like developmentally with girls, middle school is the, the phase that I'm most passionate about leaning in and working with um and very similar to how you feel about high school i think that um i think that there's so much going on for girls at all levels for sure but what's going on with girls in middle school is really emotionally significant to me and so that's what i'm most passionate to lean in on and Although if my troop had, if the pandemic had not happened and my troop had gone the way I thought it was going, like this whole plan that we had for retention and how beautifully people were involved and how good our attendance was and how we just kept growing, if it had continued on that pace, which I truly believe it would have if it weren't for the pandemic, um, then I, I could see the appeal of wanting to stay at middle school because I did love all the girls and because I was sort of the overall troop leader, I did know all of them and I did every cookie booth. So even the girls who were new each year who I hadn't necessarily had a chance to get to know, by the end of cookie season, they knew me very well, right? And as they started camping, by the end of a camping trip, 
they knew me very well, right? Like that I, I really had a chance to get to know every single girl at each level. And so although I had my girls who I was like particularly attached to and they were very possessive that I was theirs, right? Um, I could see the appeal of staying like with middle school and having my troop move through. Um, but I think it, it is really special to stay with the girls who you really establish such a high level of trust with. And as they continue to grow and develop and evolve, that they can really count on you to be that consistent role in their life. I actually just heard from one of my former troop members who's in eighth grade. Um, she reached out about a recommendation letter and ended up kind of sharing some stuff that's going on in her life um, because we used to talk, you know? And it was an adult who was safe and consistent for several years, who's now just gone from her life. And like, um, it's beautiful that she's at the age where she can text me, right? So like she has the technology to in her pocket to literally reach out, which is like a huge blessing. But that's an adjustment for her as much of it as it is for me, right? And so I think um, there is something beautiful about moving up with the same girls, even if you don't have it being your own daughter. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I love I love the middle school badges, which I know is like not necessarily a popular opinion. And I love I love that by by really by fourth and fifth grade, but by middle school, they are so well-rounded and they have such big ideas about the world and they can articulate those ideas. And that is so fun to me that these little squishy cheeked baby daisies that you used to play with are now able to bring up conversations about like the insurrection or an upcoming election or immigration or whatever and they can sit and have a discussion with you about what they think and and I know these are conversations you have with high schoolers on your podcast pretty regularly and probably also in your role with your council for helping girls through the gold award process in general um so I know you get it but like it's so cool to hear them put together their own ideas and to create their own ideals and moral structures and like their value system and like they're really figuring that out at that time and it's so interesting so i'm just a geek that way i don't know i'm just nerdy i think it's fun completely see how you like the middle school because it is it's a time of transition it's when they're coming into their own as leaders and they're recognizing that leadership and the one thing is that i really like is that that's the cadets is when it's three years. And I think that three years is really important for that level. Um, I think there's a lot that goes on in that three years and having that extra year in the cadet slot was the right place to put that extra year because there, there is so much change and growth in that time period. For sure. That I mean, it's unbelievable. And I just um had another conversation that will air before this one does but has not aired yet um about exactly that with the pandemic and how weird it is to have seen these girls as sixth graders not seen them for a year and a half and then they come back for eighth grade and you're like i don't even recognize you i mean you went from fresh out of elementary school to a young woman and it is terrifying like honestly so you're not kidding and the stuff 
the stuff that they deal with in middle school is so different than the stuff that they deal with in elementary school. And I'm not trying to say that the stuff they deal with in elementary school doesn't matter or it isn't big at the time that they're going through it. But we go from this girl's being mean and this girl stole my friend and this girl criticized my lunchbox or my t-shirt in elementary school to um, this girl forwarded this other girl's naked pictures that she sent to a boy and this girl got caught vaping in the bathroom and is suspended and I mean the issues go from zero to 60. I mean it's like I can also see why people wouldn't like it because sometimes I didn't feel equipped to deal with it when girls would start to talk about issues. Sometimes those conversations come up and you're like, well, I'm just a volunteer. And frankly, I don't even have a daughter in this group. Like, I am so not equipped to be having these conversations. You do the best you can in that conversation and you just hope that you're serving the girl the way she wants to be served in that moment. And you're just like, I am not a professional. <laughs> I am just a volunteer. I don't, I mean, and these are just things that are so much less common with K to five. Like, it's not that that doesn't happen in K to five, but so much less common. It's six to 12 that you start to get those big issues. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's what part of what makes it fun to be a leader. I agree. And I think why it's why it's so important. And it's being the role in girls' lives that we're offering to play a role in girls' lives. It's obviously their choice, but offering to play a role in girls' lives that you hope that every girl has access to of a, an adult who is safe and trustworthy and invested in their well-being and um, who has their best interests at heart and is going to take good care of them. And we, you know, this is an active thing that I hope girls, every girl around the world has access to an adult like this in their life. And it's an opportunity for me to step into that role and say, I'm here and I'm offering. And some girls have that in other places and some girls are really private and they'll choose not to open up in those ways. And, but this is part of the reason why I like the idea of starting so early and working my way up with girls is that then, you know, if we're talking about whether or not you've had a crush before and what makes, especially with boys, because that's what tends to be discussed so openly, what makes a boy like worthy of having a crush on like what is it about a boy that makes him crushable you know um for young kids and you start having these conversations early and so and so has a boyfriend and other other girls don't even have crushes yet but like well what would you want in a boyfriend what makes a good boyfriend and start to starting to have those conversations in third and fourth grade so that then by the time they get to middle school and so and so's naked pictures got forwarded to the whole school or posted on snapchat these girls are comfortable talking to you about those big issues because you've been having these conversations for so long having these fourth and fifth graders i remember i think they were yeah they were definitely in fifth grade we were doing a carpool and i had fifth graders in my car and we were talking about what makes a good boyfriend and this kind of stuff and they were sharing their thoughts about what you know what they would want in a boyfriend and one of these little fifth grade girls said to me, I'm just so glad that we're all so close that we can have conversations like this. And it made my heart so full because it's like, yes, that's exactly how I want them to feel 
going into middle school. That's exactly what I want this to be a safe space for, that they have other girls and adults that they feel safe confiding in and having having these conversations with so that like and even the conversations that aren't had with me but they're had in the back seat because somehow kids think you aren't listening or don't hear what's happening and so they talk about a lot and if you stay quiet they'll keep talking um and and being the adult that's safe enough to be in the same car as those conversations that are happening so that I can make sure those girls are safe like that I don't know that's you can tell I'm on a soapbox and if you're listening you're probably like wow Sarah you're really getting carried away but um or maybe you're thinking yes me too I get it I don't know I hope you are if you are you're my people but um I that's the side of me that knows no matter how sad it is to be mourning the loss of these relationships with this last troop I absolutely will continue to be a troop leader I will do this again and again and Um, No matter where I live and no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to be involved with Girl Scouts because I want to support girls. And that's why this podcast is so important to me beyond just how do you do a badge or like what's the first step I should take as a leader? How do I plan my year? Because that's why I have conversations about impact and that's why I have conversations about outcomes and GSLE because supporting adults in being that role model for girls helps me serve even more girls right like i can only serve however many are in my troop but as a troop leader but through this podcast and trying to help other frankly women who are uh, and women plus we'll say right women plus who are interested in um giving back to girls during their adolescence in the same way like let me help you as much as i can help you yeah yeah. So. And, and it's an honor to serve those girls. It's an honor to yeah. be that person that they, that they can, that you can be in the car and they're going to talk, whether they're talking to you or not, that they're, they are able to have those conversations. It's an honor. And when they confide in you about something vulnerable, it's a gift. Like, and I may, and I always make sure when I don't know how to respond, because what they're dealing with is overwhelming. <laughs> I always make sure to let them know that anything you choose to share with somebody else that's personal and vulnerable is you giving that gift to somebody else. And I don't take that lightly. Like I will never take it lightly that you came to me to share this. I'm so honored. And um, it's so important to me that this is a safe, a safe environment for you to do so, you know, and just that you feel seen and heard and appreciated that you chose to confide in this way. Well, anyway, um, so when you envision, well, we won't go on forever and ever, but um, <laughs> we can always talk about this more. But when you envision what this next iteration of this troop looks like for you, what you've said high school, what do you, what's what ideal size, what ideal structure, like what what would it look like? So I would love to have, and you have to remember again, I'm in a pretty small high school. Um, so there's probably 100, 120 girls in the whole high school. Um, no, maybe not even that many, maybe 75 girls in the whole high school. But it would be like five to six girls that really do create that, that close-knit group, right? That has that support. That, that's, that's, that's why I think I want high school, because it's a support in a different way. And I want it to be supportive. Again, I don't want it to be another thing to do. I want it to be something that they're getting stuff out of. Um, and so, you know, five or six, 
but I want to, I want it to be something where they, if we do an event, they're so excited about it that they invite all of their other friends to come to the event, even if the niche is the five or six girls. Um, but I think all the conversations that we just have get back at why I'm thinking that the next thing that I'm going to focus on is looking for some of those girls that need that extra support. Um, it's, it's not because I think they're the ones that have the most time because they may be the ones that have the least time because they may have the most family responsibilities or other things going on. But it's those that need that, that, that additional shoulder, that, that additional ear to, to hear what they need to do. Um, and so I think that that's, I think what we've discussed is exactly why I'm looking at that potential population to try and serve. That's so, so smart and, and makes so much sense because yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's tough to tackle underserved populations, right? Because yes, a lot of times they have the least time, they have the least family support or opportunity for involvement. They don't, they, they're less likely, I don't want to just make a blanket statement. They're less likely to have adults in their lives who are available to volunteer, um, even for carpools and whatnot. They're less likely to have parents that would pass background checks anyways. They're less likely to be able to pay troop dues or to pay extra event fees. They're less likely to have transportation to events. In some ways, it's choosing to make being a troop leader as challenging as possible in exchange for being able to have even a small impact on the girls who really need the outcomes that this program offers the most. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big thing. And I know in my council we have, and I, and I know other councils have this too. It, it varies by council, but I know my council has some really, really cool programs. So if you, are local, then these might be things you might be interested in trying to get involved with if this episode has meant something to you. Or if you are not in my area, you can kind of try to see what your area has that's similar. But we have Girl Scouts Beyond Bars where we work with girls whose moms are incarcerated. We have, um, I don't even know if these names are current because some of the program names I know from when I worked there, which is now 10 years ago. But um, we have programs for girls who are in alternative living situations like group homes and um, foster care and things like that, like specifically um, working to, I don't want to use the word targeting these demographics because that's so aggressive, but um, like working to serve and support these um, communities of girls in, in our community. Because we can look at our community and see that it's not all just to be frank, it's not all rich white girls with super supportive, involved, invested families, right? Like they don't all speak English and they don't all have two parent households and they don't all, you know, live in a safe environment and they don't all have access to food security and they don't and 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 and. And so um, I know in my area, you know, we have, and, and I'm not trying to pretend this is unique to my area, it definitely exists everywhere, but such a stark contrast of poverty and privilege and um, 
We also have a lot of reservation land here. And so there's obviously stark contrasts for access to resources and programming for kids, especially girls um, in different areas of my state. And so, and, and again, that's true everywhere. It just looks different everywhere, right? Like what the actual picture is, is different, but it's true that there's girls in every single <laughs> possible situation in every area. And so, um, yeah, I know that there's a lot of programs in my area. Also, um, after school programs it, that are, for schools that are located in areas that are less privileged, that are underprivileged, underserved areas, or less English speaking areas, or, and it's not, this isn't a membership grab, right? It's literally looking at what is the point of the program and who are the girls who need it the most and looking at the research and seeing what are the generational patterns that happen in different communities and where is that most likely to happen? And Girl Scouts as a program offers an opportunity to break some of those generational patterns and to give girls the opportunity to have the support system and the exposure and the accessibility to opportunities that give them a whole different opportunity for their future that they would not otherwise have access to. So, you know, not that you're coming for me or anything, but I'm trying so hard to to challenge my own language and to also make sure that anybody who's listening who feels skeptical, and I don't think I really have a huge population of, of podcast audience who would be skeptical of this, but it's also things you might hear as a champion for Girl Scouts online, especially because people are trolls, man, or in your communities, especially with cookie seasons. Um, people love to fling insults at youth serving organizations, which is crazy. Like what we're doing is a really good thing. And uh, yet somehow people can get real mad about it. And um, especially with the aggression between Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and I guess Scouts BSA and Girl Scouts in recent years, um, people love to fling insults at which program is better or worse and why. People who have had negative experiences in Girl Scouts or a similar youth serving organization love to criticize the program and it is so unfortunate that anyone's had a negative experience right but their negative experience is not the larger picture of what girl scouts is or what girl scouts does and so like having some of these talking points and kind of understanding some other perspectives and some other initiatives that exist in girl scouts so that we can champion girl scouts well in our communities i think is so important so there's Sarah's soapbox number 57 on this episode. I don't know. What did you, what am I on today? Like, what did you feed me before we got onto this call? <laughs> I said, I'm not sure, but I like where you're going. Oh, good. Well, as long as you're, you're appreciating it, then somebody else will. Okay. Well, I think that I've babbled for long enough and taken up enough of your time. I know you have some other Girl Scouty things that you need to go do and, um, I just really appreciate your time as always. And I think it'd be fun to continue to touch base about what it is that you are building and what obstacles you come up against as you're trying to build this new phase of troop leadership and what you want it to look like. Yeah. Well, and I'll probably come up with some other ideas for you too. And obviously we all know I'm going to continue to share my opinions because that's why I even started this podcast in the first place. <laughs> Uh, okay with that being said thanks so much for joining us and i will talk to you soon